Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, it's my great pleasure to be with Susanna Raven. Um, she is an incredible farmer, musician, herbalist, and generally magical being. Um, thank you for taking this time, Susanna, to join the podcast. It's an honor to be with you. So um, I remember when I first met you, uh, it was at a performance on Clay Street in Brooklyn, and even before we had time to sit down, my jaw was dropped at the, the magic in the room and the beauty of the music. Um, I, I've been invited into your musical group called The Tribe of Love for was it almost two years now. I think so. Yeah. And um, the genre which you've coined, it's completely unique, is jungle classical. I, I'm curious, how did you come to, to find that as a, as a, as a label for the, the music, music that's made? <laughs> well, the, the label was actually uh, suggested by a, by a friend of mine after a show. And um, I, I liked it so much that, I, that, I, that we decided to, to run with it and actually use it as a, as a new genre that we are creating with our music. Um, the, the origins of the structure and the feel of the music that we're sharing uh, comes from the Peruvian Amazon, from the jungle. Um, from plant spirit ceremonies where the songs that are being sung during those healing ceremonies are called Icaros and they're um, very simple um, melodies that are very repetitive that help you to enter a very very deep healing trance and um, they're often sung in, in indigenous languages or in Quechua and, and other indigenous languages from that region. So oftentimes um, when you're part of a, of a circle like that, you really don't understand at all what's being said. And that actually allows you to enter a really deep healing space where the melody guides you through the realm that you're exploring inside yourself without being guided by the words of a story that you're supposed to understand. So you can really connect with your own story, which is why you're in this place to begin with. And um, so that's the jungle part and uh, classical because my dear tribe member, Jan Paul Berger from Germany is a um, composer and uh, he has an incredibly um, deep classical education um, vocal education from a, a boy choir, an East German boy choir that he was part of uh, for many years in his younger years. And uh, so he writes the harmonies for these songs that we are writing together. And uh, the harmonies are inspired, very much inspired by Johann Sebastian Bach. So um, that's the classical part. So they're Icaro's inspired songs with classical harmonies. Wow, I just learned so much about this band. <laughs> I, I've, um, you know, from playing in it and then uh, doing live sound for one of the gigs, I learned so much about the, the delicacy of the harmonic architecture. That is the, the, the layers and dimensions of sound happening above and beyond the initial, initial tones made and, and how all that mixes in the room. And uh, I found 
over the years of working with you, uh, my own sensitivity as a, as a musician to that ephemeral layer of the music uh, has, has become so much deeper as, you know, it feels like the field in which the healing and the, the communication with the, um, the other realms that we're reaching through, through the music and the, and the, ex the ceremonial experiences um, happen. Yeah, it's quite it's quite intricate. I, I know that when you listen to the music, it all sounds, you know, really wonderful and and um, and well put together. And so there's nothing that robs or disturbs the experience. So it it's easy to let it enter, but it's not easy to produce it. <laughs> it actually takes um, a lot of very very detailed oriented work and often Jan's golden ear, we call him, <laughs> as you can hear magically the, the tiniest this, <laughs> this harmony that can happen in this type of work. So yeah, it's, it's a lot of work and it's incredibly gratifying and, and really beautiful when it all comes together. Yes. Now I, I've had the, the pleasure of being in your home uh, for our rehearsals. You have an incredible library, both of, of movies and books. And on the last album, uh, Dragonflight, the, the opening track is in dragon tongue. <laughs> and uh, I'm asking this for myself and many other people who've heard the album and the performances. H how did you come across this language and the other ancient tongues that you work with in the music? Yeah. the the sounds and the languages of the songs of the tribe of love come from a from a very special place um, inside of me that is actually received from the place where all the music really comes from that we're playing and i know that sounds very abstract <laughs> um, i call it heart language or sound language or light language sometimes um, but what it really means is that while these songs come through when I write music, um, the melodies already come with the language together, um, very much complete. Sometimes I work on them a little bit longer to, to fine tune things. But uh, there's a word in German, the I am German, which is called lautmalerisch, which means that you're painting with sounds. It's a sound that paints a picture without having actual um, meaning when you hear when you hear the word, because it's at least not in your own language. And um, so that's really what happens. Um, the, all the songs have different tones and nuances and colors and expressions that supports what the melody wants to give and share with a listener it sounds like a pure form of communication with yes <laughs> yeah. yes yes it is yeah there's what a there's a there's a state you know the, the icaros that are um really the birthplace of our music um icaros are songs that are really written by plants not by the people that end up singing them 
um, Anikaro calls in the spirits and the healing properties and the powers of different medicinal master plants from the Amazon. Um, some of them hallucinogenic, some of them just um, you know, physically healing plants. And so when the curanderos are in that particular deeply connected, transformed, open space um, that we like to call being a hollow bone, where your ego is not attached to what is unfolding and you just become an open channel for what wants to come through. The melodies that the plants themselves have written are given to you. And so there's the same concept in uh, Native American uh, herbalism. It is said that each plant is a metal or mullen or echinacea has its own song and there are traditions in which you're not even really allowed to use a plant for healing until the plant has shared her song with you, which means you are ready to receive the full teachings and the healing from that plant. And you are allowed to give it to other people because you truly understand what this plant is about. Ah, uh, now I've led retreats at uh, Ravencrest and as a part of that retreat experience you were kind enough to share about the um, how to harvest properly mm-hmm. an honorable harvest um, and the time it takes to sense the plant that you're asking to harvest in uh, w- would you share a little bit about your your first experience of that exchange and and, and what you think is, uh, is happening now in our world where you know, the taking from the biosphere by the human species is, is, seems to be largely without any kind of honoring of that biospheric intelligence. Yeah, for sure. The honorable harvest is an ancient tradition um, in which we honor everything that is given to us as a gift and we don't take anything at all without asking for permission first and receiving permission and we never take more than what we truly need and we always give thanks and an offering in return for what was given to us so that includes not taking anything that we don't fully need it means not taking anything that the earth doesn't want to give us freely so oil that needs to be extracted or gas that needs to be extracted through fracking versus um, solar power or wind energy that's harvested in a sustainable way Um, and so if you're if you're entering that space of asking for permission and honoring the gift of course it is essential that you're actually able to ask and and hear the answer that is given and that that requires to be very still to stop to slow down and to allow these really subtle energies and languages to actually communicate with you so my my own personal uh, very first interaction with a plant like that was about 12 years ago or so or 10 years ago um, when I went to my first um, herbal class it was like a whole summer program and at the end of the program after 
five weekends, um, we, we ended up in the more subtle uh, herbalism realms and we were asked to go out and find a plant that we didn't recognize, that we didn't know what it was about and sit with the plant and meditate with the plant and ask the plant what it was for, what its healing properties were. And I remember going out there and finding a plant that I was really drawn to and not knowing what it was for and sitting with a plant for the longest time and had such a hard time. It was really amazing. I kind of considered myself, you know, very open, you know, susceptible, like, sorry, that's not true. Um, I considered myself very open and, you know, open-minded and I was looking forward to the exercise, but I was also kind of horrified and, and a little bit afraid. And I think this is all That's part honest. of what? That's honest. What was that? Oh, <laughs> um, so I, uh, I sat with this plant and I sat there for the longest time and I had all those emotions come up. That was everything from, okay, let's do this to becoming really impatient to um, thinking maybe I didn't introduce myself right, you know, to do this again, to doing it silently, to speaking out loud, to starting to feel really stupid. Like my ego was really getting in the way going, what the hell are you doing? You know, this is, you can't talk to a plant. The plant is not going to talk to you. This is this whole thing is like, why are you here? Like I yeah. tried to draw, tried to paint the plant that didn't hurt out as well. And um, you're so thorough. And then after the after the longest time of just frustration and all sorts of emotion coming up, it was like it was truly like a meditation where everything comes up that you usually don't want to look at. I gave up and I and I got up and I turned around and as I walked away, I heard the word headache in my head, and it was meadow sweet, which is the most amazing plant to you know to heal headaches. And I turned around and I looked at the plant. I was like, who just said a headache? <laughs> it, was just, it, was, it was an incredible experience. But um, so that was my first experience. And it wasn't it wasn't easy. It was uh, it was quite the struggle. But I got I got rewarded. And it was it was the most incredible moment to actually open up that portal after banging against it. You know, I could have probably just opened the door very quietly, but I had to make this big, this big thing happening. You know, I had to show the plan how much I wanted it and how, how little I knew how to do it until she was like, okay, I'll, I'll get, don't leave. <laughs> you tried hard enough. And uh, I, ever since then, I have this really beautiful connection with Meadowsweet. I grow so much of it in the garden. I don't really use it that much in our formulas and in our tincture, but I always have a lot of meadowsweet in the garden and it just makes me so happy to pass by it and just touch it and smell it and just know that this is the, the first plant that ever spoke to me. It's really lovely. Wow, thank you for sharing that. Uh, so I, I'm curious with you know the, the number of humans on our planet now and, and the industrial processes uh, Required at least in the expression now uh, to to feed all those mouths. Do you see a way of reclaiming this intimacy and ability to listen between the farmer, the plants, uh, and animals, and and the the people that support their products in the marketplace? 
Yeah, I think we have to scale down. We have to scale back, really, from all, from anything that is big ag, you know, big mass animal production, all those things that are just so greedy and so profit-oriented and so not asking for permission and so not giving anything back, but really just polluting and depleting and turning everything to just the soil into deserts and, and totally deplete, to just depleting the planet, polluting the waters. Um, I think the solution, and as far as I'm, I remember, the UN brought out um, a statement too that really the, the future in food is in small scale farming. And I can only just encourage everybody to start growing something outside of your house plant. Um, even if you just put a pot with calendula seeds out on your fire escape um, in New York City or find a place where you can have a little plot in a community garden so you can start growing your own medicine and your own food. Uh, saving seeds is the future, not using GMO seeds, um, not even using F1 hybrid seeds, just really using open pollinated seeds that you can save year after year so we can break the dependent on uh, large, largely produced GMO seeds that, um, that, that really do not help in this environment at all in, in any way. Um, and have a relationship, start to have a relationship with your food. Is it plant-based or animal-based? If animals is what you're eating, do you really know where your food comes from? Know where your food comes from, and you cannot know where your food comes from uh, when it's when it comes from big agriculture. So start to go to food co-ops and farmers markets and grow at least a lettuce or have a tomato plant or grow a little bit of kale and know how satisfying it is to actually eat food that you took care of yourself, that you watered and fertilized and and cared for. It's, it's such a different experience and it will bring you closer to everything else that is around you as well. Mm. Yeah, we are, uh, my partner and I just moved out of the city after me being there for 20 years and her being there for 10. And uh, we're in pretty much in the sticks now and we have 10 acres and the excitement to be able to go out and do just what you said, you know, try growing different things and going to the local markets where things are harvested seasonally. You know, you're not you're not finding blueberries in January because they simply don't grow them. Right. And and just the the satisfaction of knowing the person, even if we're not growing it, but knowing the person who did and that you're supporting them is such a different quality of experience from you know, having to go into the grocery store because you forgot something mm -hmm. versus intentionally seeking out a particular person in a collective that supports this level of intimacy with the ecosystem. Um, in, in the work of helping people get in touch and reconnect and listen, um, you know, I remember when the ethical veganism movement was happening in the yoga community 20 years ago, and by and large, the tone of it was uh, fear-based, 
and um, shame towards people mm. who were having animal products. Uh, and then, you know, that got ridiculed. I mean, they had they made their mark, um, but then it started to get, you know, vegans were getting ridiculed for being uh, militant when, of course, not everyone is. And then it seems to be in the last, I don't know, five plus years that the the reasons for shifting towards a plant-based diet a more you know sensitive to where things come from uh choice when someone gives a dollar to put something in their mouth uh is shifting away from just being about the the unsustainability of it or cruelty of it but now more towards the uh the ecological inconveniences to put it lightly towards humans like what happens to our water uh, the the carbon emissions that are directly connected to deforestation and methane emissions from from cattle it seems like the uh, the the different quadrants around being sensitive to what you consume and how it's harvested is is becoming more um, in the public conversation. Yes, definitely. Yeah. I'm not sure what the solutions are. I, I don't know. Um, we need so many solutions right now. But eating less meat is definitely part of it. Mm -hmm. may, may I ask, uh, as, a, as an herbalist, um, how do you see the the use of herbalism? Um, oh, my my cat's saying hello. Yeah, hi. <laughs> hi, Lumi. How do you, how do you see uh, the the influence of of herbal medicine in the the Western medicine forum, where you know you have by and large Western medicines treating symptoms? versus addressing cures. How do you see these two worlds uh, able to work together? And are they interested in working together? <laughs> that, is, that last one is a really good question. Um, so I, I just want to say that I don't, um, I'm, I'm not fully rejecting um, Western medicine or modern medicine in, in any way. I think it's an incredibly powerful tool and uh, it, it has immense benefits and it's also very needed. So if I step out on the street and I get hit by a car uh, and my, my head is cracked open, there's, not, there's no herbalist that, that will help me to, to, to survive this moment. So um, surgery and um, you know big procedures like that, uh, are, are necessary and life-saving and um, a really wonderful thing. Um, what I don't agree with is that Western medicine often has the attitude that nothing but itself is accepted or um, viewed as even um, an alternative to, to itself in, in any way. And so that's where I think um, um, integrative doctors and functional medicine and uh, Western medical 
doctors who who are interested in incorporating herbs into their own treatments or who are willing to work together with herbalists when a patient reaches out to an herbalist but the herbalist then you know needs to have permission or needs to work together with the doctor to make sure that people can start to be taken off antidepressants or other medications because they need to be monitored on a regular basis to do this in a very safe and effective way um, so that working part together i think still needs a lot of work i think also herbal medicine from a western medicine point of view is is often a, not really fully understood um, i think a lot of doctors regard herbs as just a quaint um outdated you know just witchy not proven kind of a thing uh, that we want to move away from but um we really want to move towards the herbs and with the herbs and the plants like we have done for millennia uh, the human body is designed to interact with herbs um, we share a lot of our DNA with herbs. We have all the receptors in our body to interact with the chemical constituents of herbs that can help us to bring our body back into balance to support our different body systems and they can help us to heal by strengthening and nurturing us. Um, so our bodies know how to work with plant medicine. You take it and it has beautiful, wonderful effects. Um, Western medicine often treats symptoms versus uh, herbalism and working with plant medicine that addresses the actual core problem of why the symptom is there. And then we work on bringing the body into a state of equilibrium. So that dissonance and that unbalanced, not supported state can can be healed so the symptoms will disappear and that usually takes time um, there's a few plants that have an immediate effect that is as strong as a pharmaceutical drug um, but you don't treat the symptom you, you treat the source or actually you treat a person I always want to say this we're not actually treating yes. diseases we're treating people <laughs> so which requires you know a very intricate um, you know work of really looking at the whole person and not just what the person is suffering from but also where the suffering comes from and that can also be you know your work your relationship the way you eat the way you sleep the way you were brought up the traumas that you're still carrying in every cell of your body it's so much more involved than pulling out a prescription pad and sending somebody home with a pain medication yes the bravery and the vulnerability and the sensitivity to uh, look inward and listen and be open to seeing how we are ecosystems within ourselves living within uh, an ecosystem around us is this, this is a uh, I think a more sophisticated view than you know I am I'm if I'm having a heart problem or I'm having an emotional problem it's only coming from that one realm but the interconnectivity of all things is a uh, I think a call towards back to listening and um, reinventing who we who we thought we we were or rediscovering, rediscovering. our true essence yeah 
Yeah, I find this um, as a musician uh, in the healing practice of doing something creative often doesn't start with knowing what I'm going to make. Uh, from, you know, you're sitting down to the blank canvas. Uh, it can be quite intimidating. And so that meditation of opening ourselves and becoming, as you say, the, the hollow bone and listening is um, putting us in touch with these, you could say, spirit voices that have something to say through us. So I, I'm curious if we come back to your your path with, with music, um, how did you fall in love with music? What, what was your, your earliest influences and can you see them in the work that you're making now? Um, I think my influences have changed so much, really. Um, I played a little bit of guitar when I was maybe 12, 14 years old. I had a good school friend who I used to play, who I used to play um, guitar with, and I used to sing with her. And we used to sing a lot of Cat Stevens, and I loved Clamet. <laughs> and uh, um, I remember she had a... Um, she had a boyfriend who while we were all you know practicing picking and strumming and the basic chords on the guitar this kid could actually improvise and i remember just being flabbergasted by that and being like completely speechless and could not comprehend and how something like that could be done like how you could just make this up on the fly because in that state of my musical capabilities, I was just practicing what was on the page in front of me, what somebody else, um, you know, had written. So I was just reciting what somebody else was doing, and that was more than than enough for me. Um, and so the plays I am in now, um, I actually very, very rarely uh, play or. Uh, feel even called to play someone else's music. It's it's really interesting. I, I always feel like somebody else is playing that already um, very well. You know, there's always interpretations and all of those things. But I, I'm I'm really more interested in just creating or being part of creating something new. And um, the music that I play right now has really very little to do with my original encounters with with music it's really what comes from a from a much deeper and like a, a very deeply spiritual place yeah. and um I, the and i remember um when i started because i i and i didn't really write music until um 12 years ago and i almost i, I always want to say that i don't want to take too much credit for writing these songs because I really feel very strongly that I'm not the one writing them. I'm just quiet enough to listen to what's always there at any given time. You're just lucky enough to uh, to tap into something that is, that is just happening. Um, Elizabeth Gilbert has this really great story where um, she talks about writing and how it is like 
the dragon flying by and she like grabs the dragon by the tail and she like pulls it backwards towards her <laughs> when she was writing a, a, a poem I think backwards even um, so it's just it's not really us that create this it's something much larger than us that we just happen to tap into I completely agree the uh, how many times have I heard a phrase just before you know going to bed or too tired to get out of bed but this music is just presenting itself and I didn't get out of bed <laughs> it's too tired and then you hear someone else with that idea or I even heard it on the radio once and um, so I, I agree that you have to catch these these tigers by the tail while they're presenting themselves mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and it, yeah. I've, I've found that the um, you know spiritual practice and and being closer to nature this openness to attunement and listening allows for these uh, immaculate births so these pieces can present themselves not just as a toe or a nose but like the whole thing you get to see the whole animal and and document it yeah it's it's really beautiful when it happens and um, it's, it's interesting for me because I'm a very busy busy person <laughs> I usually don't take um, you know the time to sit down and write music it often doesn't happen like that at all it just happens when I'm in the car because I'm driving and I'm not I'm, I can't be doing anything else really and it's just like oh there it is what am I hearing I'm hearing something or when I'm harvesting flowers or when I'm out in the field, I just, uh, we just have a new song called Dawn that's actually written by the birds that sing on the edge of the woodlands here when I take bird walks early in the morning. So a lot of the music is really inspired and, and gifted by nature itself as well. That was the other question. Uh, so much of the music is about uh, plants and animals. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you find... Uh, a difference in the after effect when a song for an, an animal comes through and you sing it you embody it uh, versus a plant or a group of plants hmm, interesting well there's the Irapaka whiny song which is um, very connected to the black panther and I feel very much like a black panther when I sing it I feel very empowered and I often use it um, deliberately when I'm in a really uh, in, in a state where I feel really overwhelmed and helpless and uh, I just feel a little drowning in what's happening in the world I, I sometimes just call in the spirit of that animal or I sing the song and it just really helps me to uh, show my claws and connect with my power so it, it can be it can be quite concrete. Um, also, the bird song I'm I'm just transported into the meadow in late May, <laughs> taking a bird walk, and it's beautiful and soothing and so magical and sweet. So uh, yeah, it transports you to places and beings and states. Mm. Yeah, I've I've as a yogi come through uh, so many kirtans where they'll chant to uh, devas and different gods and goddesses to you know kind of 
manifest their energetic signatures and powers and characteristics and working with these kinds of songs for I don't know, the last five, six years has felt just the same, no, just as divine, just as uh, energized as singing to a, a, a deity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And inviting that energy into your space and connecting so deeply with that. You can do that with deities or animals or plants or the elements. So with, with Tribe of Love, I mean, being such a busy, activated person, uh, I, I'm impressed that with everything else that you do, you have a band. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's impressive. And you wouldn't do it unless there was a really, really good reason. So what, what is the mission and purpose of, of Tribe of Love? Mm-hmm. So first, I just uh, I want to talk a little bit about about the band. So um, the core of the band is you and me and Jan Paul Berge, who I mentioned lives in Germany actually, and he works there full time as a composer for for um, theater and dance. And uh, my dear dear sister from another mother, Marin Azov, who is. Uh, an amazing singer and vocal transformation coach and also part of another really beautiful band called Kura Kura and she actually lives at the farm with me and so um, uh, it's easy to to uh, work on new music and inspire each other um, when we are actually together here um, but also um, it's it has a tribe of love has an incredibly strong drive for me and it's it's kind of hard to explain why that is so important because really there is very little time in my life for all the things that i do and um the band usually totally goes into the lovingly looked at back burner when the farming season starts so from like june through august or may through late july there's usually hardly any time to perform and if we do it's it's a a really big production to kind of put it into the schedule and, and get it all done but um the music when you listen to tribe of love music the the things that you feel the things that the emotions that gets triggered, the places where you go in your psyche to explore places where you might not be able to look otherwise, to to look at the beauty and everything that's happening around you and inside of you doesn't only happen when you listen to it, it also happens to us when we play it. Um, it's a really incredibly deep journey to, to play the music. And um, the storytelling is in between when we when we uh, play concerts or sound baths, and um, we had a little bit of a meeting the other day because we're we're still deciding on you know where we would like to go with a band and do we strive for playing in bigger places for more people or do we strive for for smaller places with less people and that have a more intimate experience, a more personal experience with us during during the experience and also after. 
and um, the word hobby came up <laughs> for a <Ouch>. moment. <laughs> I know, right? Out. Exactly. It's like, maybe we should I just call word. it a hobby, right? <laughs> because, um, you know, Jan, we need to fly Jan in every time, you know, we need to cover all these expenses. It's just, you know, the reality of being a musician, you know, we all have full, we all have full time jobs and lives that we love to do. We're not in our early 20s, um, you know, just like being together, playing music all the time and, you know, no, not much other responsibilities. We're all adults in standing full in our lives that we love. And uh, I told Jan, I don't have time for hobbies. I don't do hobbies, actually. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm very much a perfectionist. And so... Um, you know, we, 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 we need to find a framework in which we can still be fully in it and fully engaged in what we do in a framework that allows us to do everything else we also love to do and need to do in our lives. And so I think we, we found that and um, it was a good conversation to have and uh, um, I'm happy where, you know, we, we found that framework, you know, it's good. But um, it's definitely a journey. So to answer your question, it's a journey and it takes a lot of coordination and a lot of energy and a lot of time and a lot of work. And it's the most incredibly rewarding thing when we get to share the music with people. Yes, it's, it is it is total magic to see the effect and feel the effect. Mm -hmm. And uh, as, a, as a fellow perfectionist, um, <laughs> yeah, I, would, I would propose that we, we want to leave a legacy through our works and so as a as a musician and as an herbalist uh it's a big question but well, mm -hmm. what is the legacy you would like to leave behind for the next hundred years in your work? <laughs> that is a really long time so um, so I'm really really happy we already recorded two albums uh with lots and lots of beautiful songs especially the last album Dragonfly I feel like really came out just so so good I don't want to like pat my own shoulder but I like to I love to pat my own shoulder for Dragonfly I think we all just uh, it just came out so nice it's such a beautiful album and um, being able to share the share the music with people you know both in life events and through the album, um, I think that's that's legacy. I think that will be people can listen to that for a long time, you know, years from now, if there's still the technology to play it. Um, <laughs> I think I, <laughs> I think there is that's the legacy. I don't know. I think that's that's already really wonderful, and um, the legacy with the herbs and the, the teachings from the from the earth you know, that, that I feel so deeply connected with. Um, I am uh, the um, owner of Ravencrest Botanicals, which is a small-scale medicinal herb farm and herbal apothecary uh, that is also a retreat center for herbalism and uh, yoga and meditation and dream work and soul craft and other earth-centered practices so the people that come here to these events that are exposed to the beauty of the land and the plants and the animals that flourish here that are exposed and touched deeply touched by the teachings of their surroundings and 
the incredible facilitators and teachers that come here to share their wisdom. It is really amazing. Every weekend, we have retreats here every weekend to see people that come up the driveway one way and leave deeply transformed just two or three days later. And I feel that people leaving the land in this way and going back out into their daily lives and sharing that connection that they found with themselves and with the plants and with the animals and the land and nature, um, that ripple effect of touching somebody on that level and connecting them deeper with themselves and their own wildness and the wildness of the earth and having those teaching ripple ripple out into to their co-workers and friends and bringing people back i think that's a legacy that's already happening i'm not sure about a hundred years from now but i'm just <laughs> very grateful for everything that's happening right now i think it's amazing yes it's it's a powerful ripple effect i i, I love that retreat is becoming more known as an alternative to vacation Mm-hmm. and that it doesn't mean that you've given up it's not retreat like a military route it's uh, this permission for people to step away from all of their activities and discharge and recharge so that when they step back into the, their lives step back onto the field they're better than they were they're more energized and in their own way the ripple effect uh, is felt through their relationships and a greater sensitivity is instilled in them for the choices of uh, what they put into their bodies and what it takes to produce those those goods yeah well Susanna uh, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day to do this podcast it's an honor um, I have thousands of questions for you, but we're gonna we're gonna leave it there. Um, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. This was really wonderful. All right, wonderful. You have a beautiful day. Thank you. You too. Bye bye. Thank you, friends, for tuning into the show. Special thanks to our guest Susanna Raven for joining us on the podcast. Check out her amazing products at ravencrestbotanicals.com. And the music of Tribe of Love is available on Spotify and all major streaming services. Go to the website, tribeoflovemusic.com. See ya.